Hi there, Middle Mission Baptist Church family. It's good to be with you today uh, through the video. Appreciate you guys watching this video. I hope it's helpful and encouraging to you. That's really why we do this and the podcast. We're not doing it to reach people all over the world. That's not the goal here. It's to help encourage our church family um, to look at the sermon from this week or like we cover different topics on the podcast. Uh, that's, that's why we do this. And so we encourage you to listen and we're encouraged when you do and we hear people talk to us about it. And we're thankful that you're watching. And so, like I said, hopefully this is helpful. But uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. That's where we were on Sunday as we go through the book of Ephesians together. We'll be doing that most of this year with some... Uh, we'll we'll stop and do some other things. Like I think we have Jonah planned. We have some other... Like doing some Psalms in the summer, some different things. But our main focus this year is in the book of Ephesians. And we were in verses 15 through 18. Uh, this comes off of a... Paul's intro, really, where in the intro, he's packed a lot into that intro. He's talked about the work of the Father in salvation, of choosing uh, those who would be saved. We have the Son who redeems those, and then we have the Holy Spirit who guarantees or seals our inheritance, who seals that salvation uh, in us. So really a lot up through verse 14 to go through, really a, a good section to read and to study. And then coming off that, we see Paul enters a time of prayer, and he enters a time of prayer for this church, who could be the church of Ephesus specifically, uh, but also could be this could be a letter that was passed around talking to the other churches of how he has heard of their faith, right, and he has seen the love that they have for each other. <clears throat> but it is, I think, uh, important for us to point out, Paul's just talked about these things that, I don't know, seem to be a little controversial in the Christian world for some reason to talk about things like election, predestination, uh, redemption, being sealed or guaranteed this hope uh, in salvation through the work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because people will say, if you believe those things, if you take them as I think Scripture teaches, you can get where you get into this funk to where you don't think we should evangelize. We shouldn't even share with people the gospel. Or we shouldn't even pray because God already has this plan in place. So what does my prayer really do? But yet we see all throughout Scripture something vastly different, and especially right here with Paul. Paul lays this stuff out, and then his motivation behind prayer is verses 13 through 14. Because of these facts of God, because He is sovereign in all things, therefore I can confidently pray. And Paul is continually in prayer and he's praying for this church that God would work, that God would work in them. Have you guys ever come across this maybe in some of your readings, some of your discussions with people who have this struggle of, you know, if God has this plan before the foundations of the world and God knows all things that are going to happen, right? And nothing's going to happen outside of what he allows, all these things. The question is, why should I pray then? Why should I really do anything? Couldn't I just sit here and it's, it's going to happen regardless? How do we, how do we respond to that uh, when people say that? Scott? I mean, yeah, I've definitely, I mean, I've personally wondered that before. Sure, yeah. Right? You yeah. know, in my, own, in my own upbringing and as I've, I've learned the Christian faith of, I mean, I've asked the question of, as I've wrestled through the, like the, the questions of election, predestination, God's, will being done, God being sovereign over all things, and um, then why do I pray uh, is, I mean, a question I think every Christian, <clears throat> as they study Scripture, will come to ask, uh, because it is such a prominent theme. 
but it's also such a prominent theme that we are commanded to pray, mm-hmm. and that and that we see many examples of us praying, and we see many examples of prayer actually accomplishing things. Uh, and so, I think that's just kind of one of the things that I point out uh, to people is that you have a prominent theme here, but there's also a prominent theme here, and the two can exist uh, together. Um, we might not be able to completely understand how they all function together, but both things are clear in Scripture. And I think one of the things that you kind of brought out in your sermon is that we actually have confidence to pray because God has control over all things. Mm-hmm. If we were praying to a God that didn't have control over all things, why would you pray? Mm-hmm. He has no power to change anything. Mm-hmm. He has no power over, over anything at all. But we, we have confidence not only that God has power over all things, but that God loves us as His children. Jesus even taught us that God loves to give us good gifts. And so we pray and we ask for mm-hmm. God to do that. And so actually, I think you can flip that on its head and say, actually, if you didn't believe that God was sovereign in all things, you would have no basis to pray for anything and ask for anything because He would have no power to give it to mm-hmm. you. Yeah, or and you wouldn't be worthy to go to him in prayer. Yeah, I mean there there wouldn't be that if it was on my merit, if it was on the skillfulness of my prayer life, or on how often I prayed. If that's what mattered, like if, Tim, if you'll just pray enough, they will come to know the Lord. If it became something like that, where it was on me, then nothing would get accomplished, right? Then I would say, you know what, I might as well just sit back and do nothing because I can't. I'll never meet the mm-hmm. standard to mm-hmm. make to make this happen to make it worthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really good, Scott. Because, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, um, bringing up about how you know why would you ever pray to God if He's not? I mean, like, why would you pray for someone's salvation if God didn't? If you even, I think that's one of the things is in theory sometimes we oppose these things, but whenever we're praying to God on our knees, if we're praying to God for the salvation of somebody close to us or for somebody else, we're assuming that God can do something about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think on our knees we maybe believe this more so than uh, the theoretical or the the problems that we have concerns with um, from from such teaching. So I think yeah we have a God that is good and 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 in control. Also I think uh, another aspect of it too is just to remind ourselves what prayer is for. Prayer is not designed to change God's mind. It's primarily designed to change me. Mm-hmm. To bring the Lord's Jesus said that we pray, and when we address the Father, we pray, "Your kingdom come, mm-hmm. Your will be done." And it's not simply saying, um, because Lord, the Lord's will will always be done, but we're asking for it to be done in us now mm-hmm. as well. So we're being brought in line. Prayer is given by God as a gift. It's a gift to bring us in communion and in a fellowship and into line with his will, not to bring him into line with our will. And so I just think it's helpful to think about prayer in that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, I need this. He doesn't, yeah. but I do. And so just just approaching prayer from that angle as a gift to sure. be received. Even then. Paul says there's two reasons why he's praying for this church. And he's praying actually that he's thankful for them. In the, in the two reasons, he says, I actually do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. And it's, because of the faith, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love towards all the saints. And so we looked at those together on Sunday 
of number one, what does it mean to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And the way I kind of put it was they've put all their trust in him. Like every single thing is on him. What was said in those verses before they would say amen to, we agree to this in our our hope in salvation, our hope in the final judgment, our hope in everlasting, all this stuff rests solely on the shoulders of Jesus and the finished, accomplished work that, that he has done. That's what faith in Jesus Christ looks like. So again, it's not just a knowledge of him, but it's a I am his and he is mine type of thing uh, that's going that's going on there. Uh, the second thing, which I spent a little a little more time on, was love towards the saints. And Paul, in a lot of places in his writings, speaks to these two characteristics when talking to a church of, of their faith in the Lord and the love that they have for each other. And a comment that I made that I think a lot of, a lot of people um, don't realize is how often Scripture speaks of us as Christians loving each other ever before loving people outside the walls. It, it's riddled throughout the New Testament, the Old Testament too. I mean, the, that's full of, of staying within God's chosen people in Israel. We see that a ton there. People will like to go to Jesus saying, love thy neighbor, right? And to these, some, and there are, you know, who, to ever the least of these, you give a drink, you give so in my name, or who you visited in jail, you did so in my name, right? So we, I'm not saying neglecting the world. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But so often we see in Scripture, uh, the writer, whoever is writing, talk about how the love that we have for each other within the camp, so to speak, within the walls, within their faith, will be an attraction to those outside. That that will be what they see and what they notice. And I guess you could put it this way, almost what they feel. They will feel that love that you have for each other. And that is going to help in drawing them. God will use that in drawing them to himself. Yeah. And we've seen that a lot, right? What'd you have? I was going to say, rather than using the word attraction, I know what you mean, yeah, yeah. but I think a, a better word might be just, it would be compelling. Mm-hmm. It's compelling to them because it, it's, it's given as evidence that there really is something happening here that's not normal. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty easy to show a kind of superficial love to strangers that you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's easy to be kind. It's harder to love people that you actually know well, that you see their faults and their failures, and that there's been tense moments between you. Uh-huh. And so when a stranger would come into our fellowship on a Sunday morning, let's say, and they would come to a couple of events or things, and they would see that there really is a genuine love happening among these people, that's surprising to them, Mm -hmm. I think, because a lot of times what they would see is once you actually really get to know people, you start to divide and you start to find factions, you start to bicker, you start to gossip and things like that. But if they were to come in and see that, wow, they actually aren't doing all those normal things that maybe my family does or this club that I'm part of does or what people do at work, but they actually are united in love. I mean, if you think about it, if we were a church that were only, if we said that our goal, we want to love our community, and we did, and we wanted to do that as like a, an outreach strategy or something like that, which like you said, we should love our neighbor, we should love our enemies, but if we love them and all of a sudden they come in and we see that we might love them, but we don't love each other here, do you think they're actually going to want to stay? <laughs> right. No. No. They're not going to be compelled by that. It's going to be fake. You're right. Yeah. And 
And that is a, it's a hard thing to do because as we live life together as a church family, like you said, we get to know each other. We get to know each other's faults. We get to know each other's weaknesses. Um, but it, since we are united in Christ, we know that we're all centered on him who was perfect, not us, not us who's perfect. And, and so we need to be people of grace, not just in accepting God's grace in our life, but people of grace who are constantly passing on grace. And I don't think I said this in my sermon, but the best way that we do that really as a church family is it starts in the family. And I'm talking about in the family home of where in our home life, we give grace to our children. We give grace to our spouses, right? And we that's the way that we show love and care. Now, that doesn't mean that we take law and wipe it out completely and we don't care about it. No, I still want to teach my kids to be disciplined in different areas of their life. And so they're going to get in trouble, right? They might hear dad raise his voice, these different things. It's not just, hey, free ride, grace, do whatever you want all the time. Uh, but within our homes, we're starting to speak well of each other often. You know, so I'll hear my kids say something, you know, she's so stupid. Well, wait, wait, we don't talk that way, right? We're not going to talk that way. We're not going to act that way in this in this house. Well, but what she did was dumb. Granted, maybe what she did wasn't the smartest thing, but we're not going to talk that way. Why? Because we're people who are kind, we're patient with each other, right? And we're going to speak we're going to speak well of each other. Again, I think what some people think is when we say speak well of each other is we're going to not be realistic. And I'm not saying that. We're going to deal with problems, we're going to do these things if people get out of line, it needs to be brought up, but there's there's order to that in the family life, and there's order to that in the church life as well. And so if somebody comes, so we're getting ready to do um, Sunday night fellowships in the summer. We just got done planning those and thinking about those. If somebody comes to one of those, you know, they've been coming to church services and hearing us praise God, but then they come here and they sit with somebody at a table and there's just gossip happening about those group of teens over there being so loud and look at this. Instantly, there's this taste in their mouth of, this seems different than Sunday of what they're talking about. But if the conversation is kind and good about everything or it's hot, but I'm so glad that we're doing this, you know, or this, you know, just whatever it might be, whatever is, whatever is going on, that to me, that is compelling. Like you said, that's just more attractional for people to want to be a part of what is happening because even in the midst of that guy's failure, they spoke kind of him. And they cared about him and they showed a compassion to him that I don't think he really deserved. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's like, well, he didn't deserve it, but yeah. we're giving it to him because we love him. Yeah. And as you think about it, most people that aren't coming to church, especially if they grew up in church, one of the reasons they're not coming is because, I mean, I would, I would think a high percentage of the time is because they feel unworthy sure. to be here. Mm -hmm. That maybe they know they should be coming. Like if they grew up in church, they know it's good to come. They've been taught that. Mm-hmm. But the reason they don't is because they feel like they are going to be judged. They feel like they are going to be, uh, not, they're not going to be accepted. Yeah. And uh, and if we're people that have a message of grace, mm -hmm. we need to be willing to show that to people. I really think this is one of the downfalls, and we could have a conversation about this that could probably last a long time. But I really think this is one of the downfalls of the church today in reaching people is we have prescribed, we have we have subscribed to what our culture is doing of just being negative all the time. We want to get every little thing in attack. We want to pounce. We want to be the first on it, uh, whatever, whatever it may be. And so 
I would assume people from the outside, when they look into the Christian faith and they see Twitter, they see Facebook, they see even Christian news outlets or whatever it might be, it's always arguing back and forth. It seems to be so much debating and anger at people across the table. And me and Spencer were talking about this a little this morning. And instead of taking, you know, really gospel issues of, of are you a Christian brother should be the first question, brother or sister, or are you teaching some heresy? Is there a problem here? Pounce on that. Pounce on the heresies. Pounce on those. Be very diligent and vigilant to stand strong against that for sure. But then there's other issues where it seems to be a lack of love and grace in the midst of some wiggle room that we could do. And I think that's really what's caused a lot of younger people to be pushed away from the church because they're on Twitter, right? When they when they say, I want to research this Christian stuff, where do they go? They go to Twitter. They go to Facebook. They go to Instagram, right? So say young people are probably on Snapchat. Sna- whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they're not on Twitter. That's fine. All that, all that stuff, though, is what they go to, and that's where, all this, that's where all this bickering is taking place yeah. and all this stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And it, it does leave this taste in your mouth of, I don't think they even really like each other. I don't think they even love each other. Um, when yet it's supposed to be the exact opposite. I mean, I need to be willing to give grace. But I know how hard that is because I fail at that every day. I mean, I fail at that at home. You know, when there's not a towel there, your mind gets all ticked off that someone's not doing their job in the house and there's no grace. Yeah. I mean, I'm just being really honest. You know, I think one of the biggest way. things is... is uh, my wife has been good about reminding me of this too. Is is if you're gonna love people, you've got to remember, you've got to have a really good doctrine of original sin. Mm-hmm. Why are you surprised that people in the church yeah. are still sinning? Right. Why are you surprised there's sin in your home? Mm-hmm. Why are you surprised the world sins? Why are you surprised the Bible says we're dead? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I think that's one of the things is we forget. Right how bad the problem is. Yeah. And so our anger is directed because they shouldn't be doing that. Well, they shouldn't be, but, they, but they're sinners. Right. I'm mm-hmm. a sinner. You're a sinner. So that, the, the, the thing we have to give grace, well, then the first step of that is to realize we have a radical problem. Yeah. And I think if we, if we develop a really good doctrine, <clears throat> see, if you don't have that, then you're expecting everybody else to, have a, to meet a higher standard and oftentimes that's just our own man-made standards of what holiness looks Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and so then when people scott you pointed out how people outside feel unworthy to come into the church it would be helpful if a lot of us i speak to myself in the church felt more unworthy to be in the church (laughs) yeah because we're not worthy right and that's Um, really the root yeah that would be kind of what you're saying i think is that that's the foundation of how is a church able to treat outsiders with grace and mercy right. despite their faults and failures? Well, it will happen if they see themselves first and foremost in the light of their faults and failures, yes. but they know they've come here because they have been yeah. forgiven right. for those. Right. There's blood over the door. Yeah. The yeah. only difference is that there's blood covering us. Mm-hmm. That's the only difference. Mm-hmm. I'm as bad as the, you know, yeah. I'm... Mm-hmm. I'm as bad as the worst guy that you could see on an ISIS video. I'm as, that's me. We probably need to talk about after this. <laughs> but you know what I mean? In my heart, I could do all those things. It was a, Robert Murray McShane said, the seeds of every sin are in my heart. In heart yeah. And so I could do that if God, but for God's grace, yeah. I could do the worst sin that you can think about. It's only the blood yeah. that changes me. 
One of, the, one of the things about myself that is so frustrating to me is knowing the things that you said, like I, I know these things, and I have the privilege of being able to talk like with a lot of pastors, people from different churches, and they oftentimes will share the struggles maybe that their church is going through. And every time in my mind, what I think is, just give grace, man. I mean, that's not really a big deal. Right. Like what you guys are arguing about at church, it really isn't a big deal. Like you should just give grace. But then when it's our problem yeah. in here, it's this big deal, and it's like I should give myself my own advice that I would give to this pastor or this church member at yeah. a different church. You know, you should just give grace in this and just love yeah. love them. You know, and I think so many times that really would be the answer. Right. Um, again, not pushing the law aside. There's still rules. There's still mm -hmm. things that should be done. You know, if you say you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, it's okay if we get frustrated that you're 10 minutes late every week. Like. You can't keep coming in and saying, just give me grace. Right. Eventually, it's, you need to do better as a Sunday school teacher and be on time, right? right? There's rules here. Right. But so often, you know, yeah. lighting, sound, music, even how good did this guy preach? Did he, did he study? Did he prepare? Was there anything heretical in what he said? Give the guy some grace. Like, probably some things you could take from that, you know? Right. Um, right. I just think that would go a long way in... I think the reason we think that is we see that all throughout the Bible of just this love yeah. towards each other. Yeah. Um, and remembering, like you said, that's one of the good things about communion mm. is when we drink that cup together and we eat that body together, we are here because he has united us and he is the perfect mm. one, not us, right? We're reminded of that. Yeah. One of the things I heard recently on a, on a podcast, it's a, they were talking about with, the, with like a, it was some kind of like celebration leading up to Easter. But one of the things they said in their church service that they would audibly say, or one tradition would do, is they would literally, as a congregation, this is a more liturgical church, mm -hmm. but one of the things they would say together as a congregation is the is the crucify him, crucify him. At some point in the in the liturgy, is they would repeat the words that people were shouting against Jesus. And the point is, is that's on all of our lips. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's a good reminder. He said there was one lady he knew who would refuse to say that because she said, if Jesus had been around, I would have loved him. I wouldn't have said those words. Yeah. And it's like, but we have to remind ourselves that was were my words. It was mm -hmm. my sin that put him there. And I think whenever the doctrine of sin is really taken seriously, and then also you think about love for all the saints. Remember this church in Ephesians, you've pointed out earlier in the series, the Jew-Gentile distinction. Mm -hmm. They yep. didn't like each other. Right. The Gentiles are bringing pork in and the Jews are getting ticked off because the Gentiles are kind of, you know, mm -hmm. it's there's this fight going on, but they had to show love, which means I, I either deal with sin or I overlook your faults. Sometimes <laughs> you just have to overlook things and get over it right. and realize we're going to have to wait till heaven um, to get fixed up completely. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just part of reality. Yeah. And we say it as if it's easy. It's, it's not, not easy. And I, I don't expect any church to be to be perfect, but no. it's a good reminder when we get like to this section, I think, uh, of, of Ephesians here, for us as a church family to to do these things and to do them well. And like I said earlier, if we will do that within our family unit, I think it will help us to then do it as a family in the body of Christ here um, to where... Uh, again, I, I'm so it's so easy for me to go negative in everything because I think that's how I think of, my, of myself as well. And so I start throwing, like you said, I start throwing things, those expectations on everybody. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem with me. That's not a problem with everybody else of what they're not doing or, or what they're doing. And to trying to remember to, I think, first of all, when I feel affronted, mm. to be patient 
mm. and step back. Why am I getting so mad? You know, why mm. is it so angry? Is this a mm. grace issue where I should be pouring out grace? Or is this an issue where we need to deal with, with something right. here, right? And I think a lot of times we would find, at least within the scope of our church, Menorah Missionary Baptist Church, the answer would probably end up being grace right. in this case. Grace in this case, right? Mm. Get over it type of thing. Like yeah. this is something we need to get, right. just get over and get yeah. past. Um, but I, I know for me in reading this, yesterday seemed pretty quiet in the service, Um but it was that way for me too when I was studying this because it was, it was convicting to think through the things that cause frustration at times. That is really my sin. My it, it's my issue. Nobody else's. And I just need to be more uniting instead of uh, dividing in these things. Well, Paul also talked about um, when he prayed for this church. The thing that he prayed for, I don't think, was what we often pray for when we pray for people. All right, when we pray for, for different things. He prayed that they would know Jesus more through a spirit of wisdom, he prays, and of revelation to be given to, be given to this church. Um, he's talking to a church of believers. We need to remember that first and foremost. He calls them brothers and sisters so they know the truth of the gospel, the faith in Jesus, all these things really... He was reminding them in verses 3 through 14 of this stuff. This wasn't new to them. So he knew that they believed in this stuff, yet he still prays that they would know him more. And he says the reason for this is so that they will have hope because their hope is cemented in them knowing Jesus more. I really felt like stumbling on Sunday through that of trying to explain that really well. I wish I would could have done it more articulate, I guess. Uh, but I trust that God will use my frailty. Um, because I don't want people to think they need a seminary education to be a Christian. That's not, that's not what Paul's teaching here. He's also not teaching that there's some special revelation to come. Mm-hmm. No, we have it in his word and we have it in the person of Jesus Christ. But there is this understanding that when God saves us by his grace, he doesn't save us in just leave us in that spot. Uh, so with, the, with the, uh, the guy on the cross next to Jesus, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He grew, but it was through death, and he was, became perfect, right? So he had that. But there are those who've been saved, in the Bible speaks like Paul, of constantly being disciplined, disciplined in his body, doing these things, growing, being molded and shaped into the image of the Son of God. That starts at salvation, not at death. And so there is this I mean, you find that growing. even in, in the Great Commission. Jesus didn't say, go out and make converts. Go out and convert people. Mm. He said, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I yep. commanded you. Observe all mm. things. The, I mean, that's part of mm-hmm. our mission mm-hmm. as the church, yeah. mm-hmm. is to disciple people, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like I could be item A in this. When I, when I, I was saved when I was younger, I did not read as a kid. I think the one book I might have read was like a biography on Bo Jackson, like on my own, just because I was interested in him. Who is that? But, oh my gosh. <laughs> he said, Who is we got to get him a book. <laughs> can we do this? Can we turn the chairs? <laughs> he was one of the best two, two <laughs> sport <laughs> athletes. All right, that's not the purpose Sorry, of this video. We'll talk about that <laughs> later. Maybe Michael in a Jordan. podcast. Maybe in a podcast. <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> okay. He did go. We'll, 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 go we'll go to YouTube later. Yeah, we'll do this later. <laughs> But 
I feel like when I'm standing up there telling people, listen, the Christian faith is a faith of, of learning. And that involves reading. That involves listening. That involves work on our part to, to study and to know. I really feel like a big hypocrite because for a long time, that didn't interest me at all. Not in one single bit. In any venue of life. Like, I didn't want to do that. Um, <clears throat> but yet... God did work in my life, I remember, through a challenge at youth camp one year to read the Bible, which I had heard so many times to read your Bible. But I finally was like, you know what, I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to read my Bible. And through that, this hunger started to grow. And I would read my Bible on my bed before I would go to sleep. And so most of the time, I would fall asleep when reading. I would do it very quickly to meet my quota of whatever it was. So I don't want it to come across like it was just this magical moments of inspiration. No, it did not happen at all. <laughs> but as I grew, I got married. And all of a sudden, new questions were coming mm. up of how to handle these different mm. things. Kids right, started to get involved in church life, teaching Sunday school. You know, um, started to pastor a church and questions coming at me that I'm like, I don't have answers for this, but I know God has answers for this in his word, mm. but I need to find out what they are and be mm. true. Because if I'm going to give somebody advice, if I'm going to teach mm. from this stage, I have to make sure it is accurate and true based on God's word. And so through that, though, I said through that, God gave me this passion to know him more to where I, I did find myself enjoying listening to sermons. I found myself enjoying finding books that were helping me to navigate these questions or uh, people, podcast. There's all kinds of things now that God really has used to help us to, to learn and to grow in him more. But I found this passion and this excitement in it and this joy that honestly then I have found the truth of this Ephesians passage that during difficult times, my hope became cemented, not in what God did at the age of seven, you know, or in my baptism even. But my hope was cemented in the truth of this. This is true. And I know this to be true because God says it is true. And so I know I feel this way right now. I'm so angry or I'm so hurt. I know he hasn't left me. And I know what that means. Mm -hmm. I know what it means when the Bible says, Tim, God has good things for you, even though my children are sick and I don't know what's going to happen here. Mm. But I know he has good things for me because I, I know what that good things mean because I've studied it, right? right. And I know it to be, right. to be true. Um, so I'm not trying to come across as like pious or anything. It's just this actually works for our hope to yeah. know him yeah. more. Yeah. What do you guys have uh, to speak to that specifically? The knowing him, the knowing him more and the hope that lies in that. Anything? I mean, I think uh, <clears throat> knowing him... Uh, it, it definitely includes, and I think this is uh, probably overall not the emphasis for Christians, I think, today. Yeah, it includes the intellectual side, but also it includes um, the word, no, you know, the knowledge idea. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I appreciate what you said. It's not knowledge simply about God, right. but we want to know him. But the only way I can know God is to read the book. Yeah. It doesn't just simply happen <clears throat> through some zap. God uses the mental faculties that he's given me to help me know him through the pages of scripture and through. But I think especially, if we would all agree here too, is that the first primary, I mean, above and arrest, everything else is coming to church. Is whenever, yeah, because you said we would know him through the pages of the Bible. Right. I would say 
where I knew him was through the preaching of our pastor. Correct. Yeah. But I mean, he was yeah. preaching the Bible, yeah. but I wasn't at you know the age of six right. and seven diving right. into the Bible. Right. But God used yeah His Word through the yes. the means that He had set forward yeah. the church yes. and the preaching and my Sunday school teachers yeah. and my parents to be mm-hmm. faithful to teach me these things. God used that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so I think coming to church mm-hmm. and, and and I think the first step is to realize that. I mean, like we joke about the fact that we have, you know, as children, sometimes we we get uh, distracted during the service. But sometimes, I but I have a this yeah. was the first service that yeah. okay. didn't happen. Okay. I think, I but I, I still think, <laughs> I still think even whenever maybe this is maybe a little mystical, but even whenever intellectually I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of the service, I believe that Jesus Christ told us I am there, mm-hmm. and something is happening. Whenever Jesus shows up, something is happening. And he's promised to be he's there promised. when we meet as the church. He said that. Yeah. And it's not even all the time that something <clears throat> is happening for you. Right. Well, Sometimes your presence there is helping somebody else. That's yeah, there. it's about the congregation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, and I think you're not just there for your own benefit. That's right. Yeah. That's I just want to emphasize thing. again, because yeah. I hear people say this sometimes Jesus showed up in that service. When we meet together as the church, he showed up. Yes. When we read his word, speak. when we speak of him, he showed up. I, I really don't like that language and it right. bothers me. Yeah. How did church go? Jesus showed up today. You know, right. like, okay, right. keep going. We know that. He's right. <laughs> well, I think Jesus, yeah, I mean, there's a lot behind that. Yes, but I, but I, but I think, I think, so I think, you know, whenever you take the, be there for the Lord's Supper. The Lord didn't just do this so that we could just have a, a little, you know, whatever. He gave us that ceremony. Again, it something spiritual is happening. It's not some transubstantiation crazy thing happening like that. But the Holy Spirit is using that to seal these things. The spirit of revelation right. is taking the ordinary mm-hmm. things. And then on top of that, you're you're teaching your children in your home, your personal reading of scripture. God is is you're you're being confronted with the living God. And it reminds me also of Paul's real quick and then I'll let Scott talk. Um but uh, of Philippians chapter three, when he says that I want to know, know him, him. Yeah. and he says, and the power of his resurrection. So this isn't simply me gaining, it, it is me gaining knowledge now, but it's also me knowing that I'm going to experience the full range of what God has for me, the unsearchable riches. Mm-hmm. And that culminates in the resurrection of our bodies. So it's, it's knowing God, it's ex- experiencing God, but again, knowing him through his word and in, in the connection of the church. Mm-hmm. That's how we know God. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, as we, as we look at that, you know, and knowing him, I think sometimes it scares people because they do think about the studying aspect and there, yeah. there is, there is something to that. It, True. it, it is work to study. It takes time, but when it's, when it's, what has helped cementing our hope, I think, is just so important. And mm. I had mentioned how at being at some funerals, I can get frustrated. And it's just because, like, I hear I hear Christians sometimes say things that just aren't biblical. Mm-hmm. And it's it's what they're cementing their hope on. You know, they would say, well, I know, I know Dad, you know, is home with the Lord. And I'm not even saying I've heard this recently, just whatever. I know Dad's home with the Lord, but I know Dad's looking down on me, and that gives me hope. Mm. And it's like... No, as a Christian, right. we don't. That's not true. If you mean by dad, God the Father, then we can maybe deal deal with this. But that's what our that's what our hope lies in. And the reason my heart breaks is because if that is what you're finding your hope in, 
you're going to lose hope really quick because that's not that's not true. You know, he's he's not your dad's not looking down on you or your mom or whatever the case might be and and helping you and motivating you along. That's that's not a scriptural thing that that we see. Our hope as Christians when we face a casket of a loved one is my hope is cemented in Jesus. Right. And he is my anchor. He is my cornerstone. He is my shield. His truths are what's getting me through this because death doesn't surprise me because of the sin thing that you taught. Right. All these things should be in our head and cementing us in. But so often I just don't get that sense when I go to funerals of of non-Christians, obviously, but also of of some Christians of of just the things that are being talked about. And that's why a lot of pastors I know get very nervous when family members talk at funerals because you're like, I don't know what's going to be said here, you know, and I want truth to be shared. I want this family to have a real hope that's cemented on Christ, not on something else. And uh, that's what I meant when I, when I talk about that. And I say frustrating, but really it gets heartbreaking because I want the hope to be centered on, on Jesus Mm. and his word Mm. and and the truth of it, because Mm. that's what will sustain me during difficult times, during hard times is his truth. Because as Jesus said, I am truth. He is truth. And that's what we have to be cemented on. Put it in. Oh. You got anything else to add before we close? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, like you said, I, I don't want to like seem overly pious or anything yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I, feel, I feel like I'm blessed because when I became a Christian, I was a freshman in high school. And the people who were in my life at that time that were sharing the gospel with me, and working towards my salvation because they knew I wasn't a Christian. And when I became a Christian, it was just the next step. I mean, I had not decided to go into ministry. Mm-hmm. That was not in my mind at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they just, week after week, would hand me, a, at the time, as a CD with a sermon on it and mm-hmm. say, hey, listen to this this week and tell me what you think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or we would read a book together. And to me, it was just, this is just what Christians do. Yeah. God has revealed himself to us. You're a Christian now. Why would you not want to know him? Right. And so for me, it was almost like a a light went Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. I hated reading. Then I just, I thought it was just what Christians did. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We have a God to know. So (laughs) know him. Yeah. Learn about him. And, uh, you know, we don't, I'm sure we all here, we don't want to, like you said, heap up a burden on people of like, you have to understand and you have to have a theological library mm-hmm. and read through all these books and understand all these things. It really is as simple as I think that your Christian walk would be a lot easier and a lot helped, more helped, if you would commit to just read a couple of chapters of your Bible a day. Yeah, Do that for five years and your life will be transformed. Mm. Yeah. Like the hard things that come to you day in and day out, I think one of the mistakes people make is that they don't do that until the trial is there. But if you just make a regular habit of doing it every day, just read a couple chapters a day, yeah. and just pray for a little bit every day, go to church consistently. I think that the time that you spend personally in Scripture will make a church a lot more meaningful to you, yeah. and vice versa. Right. It affects everything. You won't have to worry about doing it when the trials come. You'll yeah. already be prepared. Right. And the Holy Spirit will use, I mean, it happens all the time. Like, mm-hmm. the thing, like the trial that comes to me this week will somehow coincide with what I've been reading lately mm-hmm. or with what somebody else that I've been talking to has been reading lately. Yeah. And, um, it's really That's nothing. Good. You don't have to do something extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, yeah, it's right. uh, it's yeah. just it should just be part of our lives. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. Well, thank you guys for being with us. Thank you for watching this video. We look forward to seeing you Sunday as we continue on in Ephesians. So God bless.